1: What a shot, first OHL goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Medard has arrived here at the branch center, Is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Stay, watch out, watch out! UMass are national champions.
0: The NHL Draft. I am Spash and Kosa. This is Dylan Gunther of the MSN Kings. This is William Mack from ULarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. This is Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. Hey, it's Stones of the 2 Falls stampede. This is Paul-Bianne I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Colson Coleman from Brex Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Camel Blazers. This is Wolfis from Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This
1: is The Pipeline Show.
2: Round two in the WHL and the Ontario Hockey League. The Alberta Junior Hockey League has reached the final and is nearly over. The BCHL final is set to go. The USHLs into the conference finals. And don't look now, but the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is getting into the fray as well. The Q playoffs start this weekend. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everyone. My name is Guy Flaming. Great to chat with you again this weekend. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky with two locations, one in Leduc, Alberta. That's the original. And Spruce Grove, Alberta as well, both just on the outskirts of Edmonton. But if you're in Western Canada, then the good news is you don't have to make that drive in. You can order it from them. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. Just contact Trent in Leduc and they will take care of your order. Go to WilhawkBeefJerky.com, willhawk is spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K, BeefJerky.com, because you can't win friends with salad. Let's get right to the news and notes, and of course that is the playoff updates in every uh, league that we cover here on the Pipeline Show. In The WHL gets going on Thursday night, which happens to be in about uh, four hours' time from when I'm uh, recording this. Right now, the Edmonton Oil Kings and the Red Deer Rebels getting set to kick off round two. The other series in the Eastern Conference features the number one ranked Winnipeg Ice and the Moose Jaw Warriors. Both of those series should be terrific. In fact, all four series in the WHL now are going to be great. Kamloops is hosting the Vancouver Giants and the Seattle Thunderbirds are connecting with the Portland Winterhawks for a great rivalry there as well. So all of those series start this weekend. Shifting gears to the OHL, we had uh, two exciting finals. The Kitchener Rangers knocked off the London Knights in Game 7 in overtime uh, to advance to the next round. Now, they're going to take on the uh, number one seed, Windsor Spitfires, so it doesn't get any easier. And the Flint Firebirds also going to a Game 7, but for the first time ever, they are now into Round 2 in the OHL. So exciting for the Firebirds and their fan base. Uh, They get to take on the Sioux Greyhounds. And on the other side of the bracket, Hamilton will connect with the Mississauga Steelheads and what should be a great series, the North Bay Battalion squaring off against the Kingston Frontenacs. All of those series start on Friday and Saturday with the exception of Hamilton and uh, Mississauga. They also begin on Thursday. Here are the matchups in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's first round. Now that the regular season is done, remember they ended two weeks later than the Dub and the o uh, because of the uh, the big COVID break in the middle of the season. Uh, so the, now that they get to start, here's what the first round looks like. Quebec against Chicoutimi. Moncton starts on the road against the Charlottetown Islanders. The Memorial Cup host St. John Seadogs will take on the Rimouski Oceanic. Bathurst against Halifax. Sherbrooke against Baycomo. Valdor begins on the road against the Gatineau Olympique. Shawinigan will face Ron Miranda and the Drummondville Voltageur facing off against the BB Armada. The Alberta Junior Hockey League, the final could be over in the next game, but it's been a close series, uh, despite what you might believe. The Brooks Bandits, the number one ranked team in the entire Canadian Junior Hockey League, uh, and have been pretty much all season. They're up 3-1 in the series against Spruce Grove, but the Saints won the first game of the series 7-3. The Bandits won the next three consecutive games all by the same 4-3 score, two of them in overtime. That's how close this season, uh, this series has gone. It could very easily be 3-1 for Spruce Grove. Now, Game 5 is back down in Brooks, so the Bandits looking to uh, win the Inter-Pipeline Cup at home on Saturday. The finalists in the BCHL for the Fred Page Cup, uh, they have been... Determined now, the Penticton V's will square off against the Nanaimo Clippers. Nanaimo eliminated Langley, and Penticton got past West Kelowna to get to the BCHL final. The uh, conference finals in the USHL are set. The Eastern Conference will see uh, two teams who have uh, upset their way to get to this point. Muskegon took out Dubuque in round two. They will square off against Madison, who uh, upset Chicago. So Muskegon and Madison will collide. One of them will get to the Clark Cup final, and they will face the winner between Tri-City and Sioux City, the Tri-City Storm, the number one-ranked team uh, in the USHL this season. College hockey news, Boston University has their new head coach. That will be Jay Pandolfo. The sad news is Illinois has uh, decided they are not going to pursue their uh, option to go to Division I and uh, with a hockey program, so no Division One for the fighting Illini. Nate Lehman has uh, signed in a, a contract extension at Providence to uh, be the head coach of the Friars for longer. And Michigan State has found their replacement for uh, Danton Cole, getting him from the same place that they got Danton Cole from. That will be from the U.S. National Team Development Program. His name is Adam Nightingale. He's been the head coach for the U18 squad. All guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. The taproom is open in Red Deer. You can place your orders online and pick up in three places. If it's in Red Deer, you can pick up right at the taproom. If you're in Edmonton, you go to the Bountiful Farmer's Market. And in Calgary, it's at the Calgary Farmer's Market. But you place your order online at troubledmonk.com shop. And if you happen to go into the taproom, they have an assortment of apparel as well. I'm going to be stopping in next week because the Oil Kings and the Rebels are playing. And I'm going to be traveling down uh, on my own because uh, play-by-play man Andrew Peart will be on the bus. But I definitely want to be there and uh, I'll be calling the helping call those games. Those go on Monday and Wednesday. So I'm going to stop in Leduc, pick up some beef jerky. Then I'm going to get to Red Deer, stop at the Troubled Monk Tap House and uh, see the boys. And maybe pick up uh, a new hoodie or a t-shirt or a hat or something like that while I'm there. And then go call a hockey game. At uh, my favorite stop in the Western Hockey League, the Centrium in Red Deer. Uh, two other news items to pass on to you. The 2023 World Junior uh, Hockey Championship will be back in Canada. Of course, the 2022 one was in Edmonton at Christmas time and ended really prematurely. They're going to replay it this coming August. Well, the 2023 will be back at Christmas time and it will be in Halifax and Moncton. So, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Moncton, New Brunswick. First time Moncton's been able to get on that sort of a stage. It was a really, really successful event in Halifax. Man, that seems like it was, uh, I I don't remember, 2010, something like that. So great to see it getting back out to the East Coast. Uh, And lastly, the NHL Central Scouting uh, final rankings have uh, been released. In fact, just coming out today as I'm speaking with you. I think there were 53 WHL players who uh, made the list. Uh, I just saw that the USHL uh, says they've got 79 players on the uh, final ranking. They always include uh, former players, guys who have moved on to either college or decided to play a major junior. And they'll also include players who basically spent the entire season in high school. So they say it's 79 players. It's 79 players with some ties to the USHL, not necessarily guys who played in the league full time. They also include all the U.S. national team development program players whereas every other scouting agency does not and that's because Team USA only plays a third of their games in the USHL uh, during their draft year so a little bit different but i understand why the USHL does that lastly before i get to the guest list for this week's show reminder prostockhockey.com is your online source for authentic pro stock hockey equipment whether it's sticks or gloves or tape Check out their Twitter feed right now, Pro Stock Hockey, at Pro Stock Hockey, as uh, they're giving away an autographed PK Subban stick. Saw so they also got a uh, new shipment of gloves from the Calgary Flames and some sticks from the New Jersey Devils uh, recently added. Uh, visit them online at ProStockHockey.com. All right, this week's guest list three guests uh, for you. And we will begin with a preview of the upcoming second round in the WHL in the Eastern Conference. Now, the East and the Western Conference is no crossover this year, uh, so my guest is really only only going to focus in on the the Eastern Conference as uh, Les Lazarek is his name. He's the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. They were just eliminated by the Moose Jaw Warriors, so I wanted to get Les's take now that he's uh, unbiased as the four remaining teams. His isn't one of them, uh, so we pick his brain. And... uh, A lengthy conversation, but well worth your time as we look at the WHL's second round. From there, we'll go to the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League playoff preview. Willie Palov from the Halifax Chronicle-Herald will set the table out east, and we will end it with a 2022 draft spotlight segment. A guy who's getting a lot of buzz, especially after his performance, well, really all season long with the U.S. national development team, but with uh, the United States playing very well, At the World U18s, although they did not win gold this year. That goes to Sweden. Uh, But it was still a pretty dominant performance up until the gold medal game for Team USA. Frank Nazar, the third, is my guest. We'll get to know Frank in the final guest segment of this week's show. But we begin with the look at the WHL's second round in the Eastern Conference. Les Lazaruk, the voice of the Saskatoon Blades, is up first here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky.
1: Hey, this is Ben King of the Red Deer Rebels. Puts it on goal, Sky! Ben King tipped it home, and the Rebels win it 4-3 in overtime.
3: And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. When the night has come, and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light we'll see.
1: WHL Playoff Hockey returns to Rogers Place. And your 2022 Edmonton Oil Kings Playoff Passes are on sale now. For only $129 a seat, you get access to every home playoff game the Oil Kings play. And the more we play, the less you pay. Be there as NHL first-rounders Sebastian Kosa, Caden Gouley, Dylan Gunther, and the Powerhouse Oil Kings chase the crowd. Edmonton Oil Kings Playoff Passes are on sale now. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place. All WHL Playoff Long starts at just $129 a seat at oilkings.ca slash playoffpass.
3: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Is the cheapest drug there is.
2: Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to begin this week's episode uh, with a, uh, a look back at uh, what happened with the Saskatoon Blades in the WHL's uh, playoffs and uh, wrap up the, the season from the Blades' perspective, and then we'll get into uh, previewing the rest of the Eastern Division. Uh, or excuse me, the Eastern Conference in the WHL is uh, round two about to kick off. But, uh, of course, if we're going to Saskatoon, that means uh, our good friend Les Lazarek, the play-by-play man for the Saskatoon Blades, back on the Pipeline Show. Les, great to catch up with you once again. How are things?
1: Uh, Things are okay. I mean, it's starting to warm up. It's starting to actually feel like spring again, (laughs) Guy. After a couple of weeks of winter-type weather, uh, yeah, it, it feels nice to actually be into May and feel warm again.
2: You know it's funny because we get half rain and half snow. It seems like in the evenings around here, and I'm not sure it's it's. Well, we're into May now, uh, but a couple of nights ago we had it again. So yeah, it's, it seems Crazy. like uh, just doesn't want to end. But uh, well, it, unfortunately, that's the segue. Uh, endings, and uh, this season is now over for the Saskatoon Blades after a uh, a tough series against the the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, ends up uh, a four games to one victory for Moose Jaw, but uh it's been a few days now when you look back at that series what do you take away from it
1: i think what you take away from it is that uh moose jaw's best players were their best players and were a difference over the blades and i think another thing that came into play is that the blades injury troubles that have been season long finally eventually caught up with them they were somehow able nursed their way to 38 wins with 250 man games lost to injury or illness during the course of the regular season. But it's the key guys that are out, and two captains essentially were out for uh, the, the playoffs. I mean, Tristan Robbins did suit up for games three, four, and five. He took over the C after Aiden Delagrojandier went down with sh- uh, season ending shoulder surgery uh, following game number 60 of the 68 game regular season. Uh, but Robbins was at barely you know, 20% of his effectiveness due to a high ankle sprain. He was only playing on the power play against Moose Jaw, and there aren't as many of those during the course of a playoff series as there normally is during the regular season. So uh, his appearances were limited. No delegris jean That definitely helped uh, or hurt, I should say. Uh, and then uh, for Moose Jaw, uh, Denton Matechuk, I can't say enough good about this young man who's going to be a first-round pick. He, you know better than I do, but he's just tremendous uh, from what I see of him. And uh, He has the ability to dictate the pace of play when he is on the ice. The puck seems to find him all the time, and then it just becomes a matter of what does he want to do with it, and how fast does he want to go, and where is it going to end up going to. He seems to be in total control of that, and that was on full display in the five games against Saskatoon.
2: Well, I know uh, about a month and a half left in the regular season, Moose Jaw came through Edmonton and laid an absolute licking on the the Oil Kings. And, I, I mean, I seem to recall it was 6-1 or 8-1 or something. It was, like, ridiculously one-sided in that game. And Matejczyk was one of those guys, and, and Jagger Furkas and and uh, Braden Jagger. Uh, I mean, they they added a pretty... And Damon Hunt was still in the lineup then. So uh, the Warriors, even without Hunt, uh, seem to uh, finish off the blades, but those injuries that you were talking about, I mean, those obviously catch up to a team. Some of those players that you mentioned, and obviously the 20-year-olds who don't return next year, any thoughts on those guys uh, who won't be back?
1: Well, I think, first of all, Robbins, uh, who we mentioned, uh, it's unfortunate he that his, his career in the Western Hockey League ended the way it did. Uh, he is the 47th player in franchise history to hit 200 career points. He was a very valuable member of the team, Really, he's the guy that uh, that set the play up. He was able to lug the puck a lot when he was on the ice along with Dejanier those were two the two main guys when it came to carrying the puck up ice or making things happen into the offensive zone for the team and uh, uh for robbins uh just a treat to be able to have him around for the better part of four seasons mm-hmm. uh and 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 really came to uh, into his own. In the last playoffs that were held uh, against Moose John Prince Albert and then as an 18-year-old taking over the offensive mantle from Kirby Dock, who didn't come back for his 18-year-old season. So uh, Robbins was a huge part of the Blades' offense uh, the last three years. Uh, next is Rhett Reinhart, who played, uh, was acquired back at the trade deadline in 2020. And he finally got to play in the playoffs for the first time this year as a member of the Blades after not getting opportunities with the Prince Albert Raiders and the Prince George Cougars previously, teams that he played for prior to joining the Blades. Uh, Reinhardt brought a physical presence to the back end. He also had deceptively good speed and very good hands for a defenseman, and certainly was able to add some offense to the mix. And then, of course, there's Nolan Meyer, who, with 122 career victories over five seasons, Uh, is the record setter for most victories in a career by a Western Hockey League goaltender. And it's going to be hard to imagine. I mean, this year it was hard to imagine the Blades without Chase Waters after five years. It's going to be hard. Again, do not imagine the Blades without Nolan Meyer between the pipes, but they're going to have to find some goaltending, and that's going to fall to guys like Ethan Chadwick and Austin Elliott, who are both going to be 18 next season and are going to be called upon to take over the reins from Nolan Meyer, who played in 60 games this past year out of 68.
2: Uh, Les, I don't know if you're privy to this kind of stuff, but uh, a guy like Nolan Meyer with the career that he's uh, etched out for himself, yes, he didn't get drafted because, as as we know, six-foot goaltenders, they're not worth it anymore, apparently. Mm. Uh, And I say that tongue firmly planted in cheek.
1: Any interest uh, out there from pro teams that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of, and when they had the... Season-ending media availabilities on Sunday, Guy. He said that there has not been anything as of yet come his way to himself or to his agent. I know that the Blades are very committed to helping him out to find something professionally, if not in North America, then maybe overseas in Europe. Uh, It seems a shame that the young man from Yorkton can't even get an invite to a development camp at the National Hockey League level, and not just because of the six foot thingy. Let's let's call a spade a spade here. He got lit up, unfortunately, in a gold medal game at the World Under 18 Championships, or was it the Halinka Gretzky tournament? I can't remember which one. But he gave up three goals early against the United States, and that really, I think, set him back in the eyes of a lot of scouts and a lot of National Hockey League teams, mm. even Hockey Canada themselves kind of turn their back on him. And that's just, just very unfortunate as far as I'm concerned because he has proven time and time again since then and before that that he is very, very capable.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, well, let's hope that uh, he does get a pro deal if he wants one. And if not, there's the, always the U Sports option, you can go play another yeah. four or five years. I mean, he's certainly earned it uh, with uh, his time in the WHL. So he's got lots of hockey still ahead of him. Absolutely. Les Lazarek is the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. And uh, the, the other reason I wanted to get you on, Les, is because now you have the unbiased perspective at the rest of the Eastern Conference. we got four teams left. It's Winnipeg against Moose Jaw, Edmonton against Red Deer. Maybe we'll start with the uh, the Eastern uh, teams with Winnipeg and Moose Jaw. You just saw a lot of the Warriors. You've seen Winnipeg throughout this season. How do you size up this uh, second-round matchup?
1: Well, I think uh, it's it's a little bit more of a hybrid, uh, not necessarily a hybrid, but Winnipeg is is maybe a little bit more of what the Blades are, and that's uh, a speed team, a skilled team, a team that's going to try to uh, move quickly, transition the puck well, and 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 score off of the rush, score off of their opportunities. Uh, the Warriors are going to have to be aware of that. They have to be aware of that against the Blades because that's how Saskatoon plays. They try to play fast. They try and quick up the puck and get things going into the offensive zone quickly and catch you unawares. The Winnipeg guys do that and do it better, quite frankly, than the Blades do. Do it better than anybody else in the league, quite frankly. So uh, the Warriors are going to have to really be on their game. And their defense, their team defense is going to have to be good. But the defensemen are going to have to be good. And uh, I met, as much as I mentioned Matejchuk and being able to put up eight points and a goal included in the series against the Blades and being, in my mind, the MVP of the series, he got able support from his defense partner, Lucas Brenton, also alongside the, the second pairing with uh, 20-year-old Magic Kadora, along with uh, Max Warner, who came back from injury just in time for that first round and ended up scoring three goals mm-hmm. in the series against the Blades, so a bit of an offensive revelation there for the Warriors. And then on the third pairing, uh, Cole Jordan is a veteran defenseman, 19-year-old who is NHL-drafted. All five of those guys are going to have to be at the top of their game in order to handle what Winnipeg's going to throw at them. And then in goal, Carl Tedichuk uh, is going to have to be better than what he was against the Blades. He was okay, don't get me wrong, but you just see every once in a while what the, it, the, he seems to fight it every once in a while. And I think he's going to have to overcome that somehow because he cannot have a tough game, cannot allow any bad goals against the Winnipeg team that's going to come at him from all angles.
2: I was surprised when I just looked up the stats and I saw that two of the top three scorers in the playoffs so far for Moose Jarrett defensemen with Matejczyk and uh, Max uh, And But that's, you know, Ryder korzak has got five points and Atley Calvert has five points. It's not like they're not showing up uh, on the score sheet or anything like that, but they're getting definite contributions from their back end. Any idea, and it's not your team, so I don't know if you're, again, privy to this or not, but any chance Damon Hunt is uh, available at all in this series?
1: My understanding is, and the Warrior people won't say it publicly, but I've heard the whispers, that they're hopeful that Damon Hunt will appear if this series goes beyond the first four games. Mm. So that is something to possibly look forward to with regards to the Moose Jaw Warriors is getting Damon Hunt back the Minnesota wild have been very, very careful with him and his lower body injury. Uh, and i my understanding is, is that he could probably play except the wild have been really careful. They don't want to lose their, uh, one of their prize prospects to an injury again, come the playoffs ahead of what is likely going to be his first professional season as a 20 year old coming up in the fall. So, um, Damon Hunt could very well be back, and if he does, then that's definitely going to be a big help to the Warriors. But they're going to have to win at least once, I think, before they see number 10 in the lineup with Jaw wearing the captaincy.
2: And that will be a tough challenge because the Winnipeg Ice are a very, very, very good team. Finished first place in the entire Western Hockey League and in the playoffs. I mean, they made fairly short work of the Prince Albert Raiders. They uh, did lose the one game, but they, they pumped PA 10-1. In game three and eight two mm. in the uh, in the uh, deciding fifth game, and they did uh, the first three games without Matthew Savoy uh, who came back and or the first two games rather. I don't know how banged up he is if it's a Tristan Robbins uh, type situation for Matthew Savoy or not looked okay in the the uh, bits that I was able to watch, but uh, the uh, the Winnipeg ice, give me your assessment of that team and what makes them so powerful.
1: Well, again, I think it's just the fact that they've got so much speed and skill, especially up front, but even on the back end as well with Ben Zelotti and Carson Lambos, uh, Nolan Orzek. That's that's just a tremendous group of people that have that offensive-mindedness, that ability to transition and turn defense into offense in a heartbeat and, 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 and really catch you off guard. Yeah, Odd-man odd rushes are not uh, an uncommon thing. For the Winnipeg Ice, when they're going well and 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 at top speed, so I would expect that that's going to be a handful for the Moose Jaw Warriors. I, I like Winnipeg. Winnipeg, to me, is at one end of the spectrum when it comes to how a team plays in these playoffs in this Eastern Conference, and the Red Deer Rebels are kind of at the other end of the spectrum and then the Edmonton Oil Kings are kind of smack dab in the middle as they can play it either way. But Winnipeg isn't going to go out there and try and run you over, bowl you over, be ultra-physical. They've got some big guys. They've got guys like Jack Finley and Cole Muir up front. Owen Peterson can help out in that respect. On the back end, though, they're not overly physical. Uh, I mean, Lambos' game in that respect. Orozek plays a very solid defensive game back there. But the ice are more known for their speed, their skill, their ability to put pucks in the net, And Daniel Hauser has provided them with excellent goaltending for the better part of his uh, two seasons now, a 16- and 17-year-old year year with the Winnipeg Ice. So they're they're a tough go uh, for anybody just because of what they'll throw at you in terms of speed and skill.
2: Well, the Ice will be the favorites going in. They've got home ice advantage, and uh, there was a a fairly significant cushion for them atop the standings ahead of uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Fair to say that uh, it's their series to lose, or do you think uh, Moose Jaw is a realistic um, a contender to, to win this series?
1: No, I think it's Winnipeg's series to lose. I, I think Moose Jaw is capable, uh, but they have to play near perfect every time out. They, can, they cannot afford to have any kind of defensive breakdowns. They cannot afford to give up odd-man rush after odd-man rush against Winnipeg because the ice will eventually capitalize if they don't right away capitalize on odd-man rushes.
2: Les Laszuk of the Saskatoon Blades, the uh, longtime broadcast voice of the Blades, would you celebrate the which game was it? Twenty-five hundred earlier this season?
1: No, that, that's that's Craig West is twenty-five hundred. He's older and more experienced than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, mine, mine was two thousand back in February. <laughs> oh well,
2: that's twenty five hundred metric games. I'm just converting it. He's yeah, south. Exactly. He's south of the border.
1: <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's
2: let's go to the other series, uh, the Edmonton and Red Deer series. For me, I, I've been looking forward to a one day these two teams meeting in the playoffs because it, it's like PA and, and Saskatoon. I, you, you've seen those rivalries over the years. Well, Edmonton mm. and Edmonton and Red Deer have never met in the playoffs when it. Or, or when they were on equal footing. I think the only time they've actually met, uh, Red Deer uh, had like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and the, and that group in Edmonton was wow. it was before their their run of uh, three trips to the WHL finals. So they were on opposite ends of that cycle. This year, this is almost a coin flip in my mind. And I know on paper everybody's going to be picking the Oil Kings, I think, but those Red Deer Rebels—that's a pretty darn good team. Do the the um, the tail of the tape for me on this one, Les.
1: Well, again, like I said, Winnipeg is one of those teams that's going to go at one end of the spectrum. They're going to go high offense, high octane, speed, skill. Red Deers at the other end, they're brute force, uh, you know, older, experienced. Uh, they will just grind you and grind you and grind you. I mean, one of their lines is, is, is just phenomenal for what they're able to do as far as working the boards and just wearing you down, and I'm talking about their captain Jaden Grub at center with Dallin Moline and Jay Isley on either wing. Mm -hmm. To me, that is as effective a grinding line as you'll find in the Western Hockey League and maybe as effective a grinding line that I've seen in this league in a few years' time. And as a result, if that line is able to do what they want to do, then they can make things very difficult on the Oil Kings and allow for the guys who do the scoring, for the most part, that's R. Steve Baines and Ben King, to be able to do their thing, especially if they happen to get power play opportunities. That's going to be a key for Edmonton. It's going to stay out of the penalty box, not allow that Red Deer power play to get unlimbered and let Baines and King do their thing. Uh, but Kalen Lind and Jaden Groob uh, have to be, uh, Jet Larson have to be contributors as well up front for the Red Deer Rebels. It can't just fall down to two guys for them in order to be successful. They need a little more offensive punch from other guys, but they do have that age, that old, that that experience, and that build for a long, tough series. I think they eventually wore down Brandon from what I can tell uh and won that series in six games and they'll try and do the same sort of a thing against Edmonton. The Oil Kings, in my mind Gee, are kind of the hybrid between the ICE and the and the rebels. They are built for the long haul. They have an older, experienced group. They have all those guys who played in the World Juniors for as long as it lasted, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, that is just a tremendous squad that Curt Hill has built up in the Alberta capital. And, uh, really, by all rights, if you want to play it fast and speedy and skilled, the Oil Kings can do that. You want to play tough and physical? The Oil Kings can do that, too. They can play it any way you want to play and be successful at it. Hence, as a result, I think that Edmonton is a favorite, but I'm not going to sleep on the Red Deer Rebels and say they don't have a chance. They definitely do. The key may end up being goaltending. I don't want to be a bad guy when it comes to this, but sometimes I wonder about Sebastian Kosa. Six times the Blades and the Oil Kings played this year, Gee, Three times, Sebastian Cosa wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And really, there were goals that were scored by the Blades on those evenings that should never go in but did and allowed the Blades to win those games. Kosa has to be at the top of his game and be a first-round draft pick that the Detroit Red Wings picked back in 2021 for all games that are played in the playoffs, not just have a night off here and there and allow the other team to get back. Because if you give Red Deer that opening, they might just very well take it. And knock the oil kings out of this postseason.
2: I think that's fair, uh, less. And when I look at Red Deer, I'm, inci- I'm intrigued by this. That you know, basically they 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 were a platoon team when it comes to their net miners. Chase Coward, Connor Unger split almost exactly the same amount of games played this year. But Coward's the one who's played every game in the postseason. And I do wonder, let's say Red Deer loses the first two in Edmonton or something like that, can you can you make a goaltender switch? Can you go to Unger after having not played him for two and a half of, uh, weeks? Uh, I'm not sure how that plays out.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I, a, I'm surprised that Connor Unger didn't start game one against Brandon, A. Secondly, I thought Unger would get the start in game three after the game two loss, right. but Obviously, that didn't happen. Hey, and who am I to say anything against a guy like Steve Kowalchuk, the Central Division's uh, nominee for Coach of the Year? I mean, Steve's had a lot of success coaching in hockey, and then especially in the Western Hockey League with Seattle prior and now with the Red Deer Rebels. So, hey, he knows his team better than anybody. And who am I to say anything differently? But I must admit that I am surprised that Chase Coward has played every game thus far, and if he's going to continue to be the guy, then he's going to have to also match or be better than Sebastian Cosa at the other end for Edmonton.
2: Now, that said, Coward does have a 145 goals against average and a 946 save percentage in these five games in the playoffs, so he is yep. doing pretty darn well uh, at that. Uh, now, uh, Ben King and Archdead Baines. Baines led the league in scoring. Uh, ben King led the league in goals. Uh, but for me, one of those players that I think might get overlooked a little bit by uh, outsiders is is defenseman Christopher Setoff, who comes back from Finland after not playing here in the in the abbreviated season last spring, played uh, some pro hockey back home during that time. He, he's been phenomenal this season for the Red Deer Rebels. He could be a real dis- difference maker for that club.
1: And not just offensively, Gee, defensively. Yep. He looks bigger this year than I'd seen. him, And of course that tends to happen with hockey players as they go through this junior progression, but the, the the difference really was noticeable to me in watching Christopher set off this season compared to when I last saw him during the 2019 20 season. He's bulked up, but he hasn't lost anything as far as his speed and certainly hasn't lost anything as far as his offensive touch, but he punishes you if you come up the wall and he gets a chance to lay a body onto you into the boards. I mean, guys get hurt. <laughs> coming up against Christopher Setoff, so he's a he's a really good two way defenseman for Red Deer, but definitely the quarterback of their power play. And again, it's going to be incumbent upon the Oil Kings to stay out of the penalty box and not allow that Red Deer power play, as potent as it is, to get going because it can be a difference maker as well for them.
2: Now, outside of uh, Sebastian Cosa what you look at when you see the Edmonton Oil Kings, and you mention all the guys for the World Juniors and. As you described, they can play it rough and tumble, or they can play it uh, skill and and speed. Uh, But the individual players, who stands out for you? And I know that list could be a little bit long.
1: Well, the list is long. Uh, The two guys most notably, because late in the year... Some teams won some games against the Oil Kings, and uh, everybody was crowing about the fact, that oh, we beat the Oil Kings. Yeah, but they didn't have Caden Gooley or Jake Neighbors in the lineup. Right, like Those are two pretty big components. They didn't have Neighbors in the lineup for the first how many games of, this, of the regular season before he came back from St. Louis Blues Camp. Gooley's been in and out of the lineup, A, because of World Juniors, and then there was a late-season injury, but he's just obviously, in my mind, the best defenseman in the Western Hockey League, bar none. So when you've got Gooley, Neighbors, Let's throw in Dylan Gunther, Jaden uh, Jalen uh you know Justin Sordiff, who they got from uh, the Vancouver Giants. Who, by the way, obviously aren't missing them all that terribly much when you consider what they're doing against Everett right no now. No kidding. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, again, sort of. And you go down the line. Uh, you know, Luke Prokop on the back end is, is a tremendous defenseman. Uh, Dohanyak on defense has been really good. Uh, I, I, I like pretty much everybody on that Oil King team. Uh, to me, it's just you know, top to bottom, deep. And, and again, very capable of playing it any way you want to play it. And as such, they become, in my mind, they were the favorites in this whole thing coming into the playoffs. I think that there's no way they should lose out. The only way they lose out is if they lose it themselves somehow. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Edmonton you know, get past Red Deer. It may take seven games but I eventually think that they have the ability to do that and then see what ends up happening in a conference final.
2: All right, and it sounds like you're picking Edmonton and Winnipeg to meet. One of the last questions I have for you, playoff experience, because we haven't had playoffs since 2019, it's, mm. uh, it comes at such a premium. I think when I totaled up the Edmonton Oil Kings, there are about 115 games, uh, and they have five players, I think, who have 20 games or more uh, playoff experience. That includes Sortif and uh, Gouley, who were the last two, uh, or they were both in the the Vancouver and PA final, which was in 2019. Is playoff experience uh, that important right now, or is it maybe not as important as usual because there's so many players who are still playing that don't have any experience?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the playoff experience factor was only there for the first round. I think once you get through a series, once you played two or three games in the playoffs, and if you've been successful, and especially if you're a young guy who hasn't played in the Western hockey league playoffs before you get two or three games into you and you suddenly realize that, Oh, this is a much different animal. This is another level or step up compared to what it is in the regular season. So I don't think playoff experience has as great of a bearing. The more you move on through a playoff season, uh, I, think if, I think it's something that happens early on in the first round, but you get into rounds two, three, four, the more longer you go, the less of a factor I think it ends up being. Uh, I think it's just a matter of whose team gels the most and is able to work well together. The team that does that better come rounds two, three, four. That's the team that does advance because they're that much better than the other team in that respect.
2: Now, the conferences uh, did not cross over at all this year. I don't know about you, Les, but it almost feels like it's too completely – I mean, the, the the WHL's Western Conference might as well be the OHL this year. It's <laughs> so far away, It's it really feels like two separate leagues. Do you hope that uh, we get back to the, the times when it, there is the crossover, or do you kind of like uh, a little less travel?
1: Uh, I would prefer to see the crossover. Uh, my understanding is there will be a crossover next year. Uh, I've already heard about when the Blades' trip to B.C. is next year. Uh, I've also heard where the Winnipeg Ice are going to be out of their rink here uh, at the University of Manitoba for renovations in the not-too-distant future, and uh, those renovations are going to be taking a little while and that they may end up having to be on the road to start next season. So those are things that are that, uh, that are coming up, uh, but uh, my understanding is is that there will be, the 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 crossover and inter play next season and i for one like it i almost wish that we could have home and home with the teams in the other conference but i know that's never going to happen again that's been about what 25 years since that last happened which yeah. is uh far too long in my mind but uh yeah, you know, I, I'm okay with the travel. Uh, I, I don't mind it. Uh, I, I can sleep anywhere. Guy. I, I could probably, <laughs> I could probably fall asleep in this studio right now if I get back into my chair and feel comfortable enough. So, no, not not an issue as far as I'm concerned. But certainly, the league having gone through what they've just gone through with COVID nineteen interrupting, starting in March of 2020, only having uh, having no fans at all pretty much for most of the uh, shortened season in 2021, and then again reduced uh, attendances early on in this past season yeah. uh it, the need for getting back some uh, some revenues and, and making some money might override the need for extra travel or anything like that but from what i understand there's also a, a, a hue and cry from fans to a large degree to see more than just what they've seen as far as the conference play goes um as, as far as sometimes it's nice to be able to see the rivals and the Blades and the PA Raiders, for instance, play 10 times this year. Um, I think some people here would say, yeah, I'd like to see the teams from hmm. the other side because there might be a kid from Saskatoon playing somewhere like, hey, a yep. Kevin Kaczynski is a pretty darn good player with the Seattle Thunderbirds. U.S. Division teams then, if the Blades go to B.C. next season... It would be the U.S. teams coming here. And goodness gracious, Korchinski and the Seattle Thunderbirds would be here in Saskatoon to play against the Blades. And there would be a lot of folks wearing Thunderbirds jerseys on that particular night, anxious to see the hometown kid play against his hometown team.
2: Yeah, and I know there's teams uh, in the Western Conference, uh, and their fans would love to see somebody like Conor Bedard before yep. he's done in the Western Hockey League. So makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Les, really appreciate your time, man. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, enjoy the off season. Can't wait to talk to you again
1: in the fall. Yeah, likewise, uh, Guy, take care and uh, continue doing the great work that you do. Appreciate this.
2: That was Les Lazarek, the voice of the Saskatoon Blades. Unfortunately, the season for those Blades has come to an end, and we won't see guys like Nolan Meyer and Tristan Robbins uh, back in the league anymore. Those two guys, uh, terrific representation uh, for the Western Hockey League at the next level, wherever that may be, whether it's U Sports or Pro or the NHL eventually uh, for either one of those guys. Give me your thoughts on the second round of the WHL's Eastern Conference playoffs. Winnipeg against Moose Jaw, Edmonton against those Red Deer Rebels. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Maybe I'll run a little poll for each series uh, in the WHL and have the uh, the audience vote on that. But I think both series have the potential to be long ones. I really hope that uh, Moose Jaw is able to get Damon Hunt back into the lineup Close to 100%. I do think it could come down to goaltending in that series. And much like Red Deer, Winnipeg's been mostly a platoon team this year. But uh, Hauser has played every game in the playoffs uh, for Winnipeg as well. So my my one thought about, you know, if they have to go away from Hauser, how long has it been since Gage Alexander has uh, played? And might there be a risk in doing that? You know, it's not just with Winnipeg. It's not just with Red Deer. I'm even thinking... Okay, now we're seeing at the NHL level teams as the playoffs start. The Edmonton Oilers, as an example, here in my backyard, they've been a platoon team all year. Do they go with one goalie or do they continue to rotate because that's what's been successful for them? Well, I take that down to Red Deer and to Winnipeg. So far, those teams have said, no, once the playoffs start, we're going with one guy. You know what, Edmonton, you know it's COSA. The only way that Colby Hay is seeing any ice is if there's an injury. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen but they have not been a platoon team all season. So just a different uh, philosophy, and I wonder if it uh, becomes a bit of a a storyline as the series move on. Well, that's the second round of the WHL. The first round of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League playoffs are about to get underway. We're going to head out to Quebec next, make that Nova Scotia, Halifax to be specific. Willie Palov is my guest, beat writer for the Halifax Mooseheads, and he sets the table for the playoffs in the queue. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Steered away by Fitzpatrick.
1: And what's Woodspip to the front. They score! It's Ben Olivier Gru. Benoit Olivier Grew gives the Moosets a 6-5 lead with four and a half gone here in the third period. Hi, my name is Bo Grew from the Halifax Mooseheads, and you're listening to Pipeline Show. Lifetime Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15, with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca.
3: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh, my.
2: Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky at Wilhock. We just got through uh, previewing the WHL's uh, second round of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. From there, we're going to the queue as the playoffs get set to begin this coming weekend. And uh, Willie Palov from the uh, uh, Chronicle Herald in Halifax is my guest. Uh, Willie, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you?
3: I'm great. Good to talk to you as always.
2: Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, get some time with you as well. And maybe let's start with what's different about this year's playoffs. Because I know it's not the good old best of sevens in all four rounds. So what's changed?
3: Yeah, well, we're closer to that. I mean, if you remember last year, um, I'm not even sure you could call it a playoff. They had yeah. some sort of wacky one game plan in, in some places and then a best of three final. I mean, they did the best they could. Um, but no, it was it was uh, by the feet of their pants for, for obvious reasons, right? So yeah, you'll best of five. And um, as you know, most years in, in the CHL, uh, the favorites advance in a best of seven anyway. And, and sometimes you get a top seed playing a bottom seed and it's a little bit ugly. Uh, and the sweep is kind of painful to watch. So this is fine. You know, it, it's, I kind of like it. It's uh, going to make some intensity right off the first game. I mean, you always have that anyway, but now, yeah, you lose one at home or two at home, and all of a sudden it's uh, a panic. So it's all good. It's going to be pretty pretty much a regular playoff.
2: I haven't been able to track down a, an actual bracket or a, a playoff tree yet, but uh, here's the matchups in the first round as far as I can tell. Moncton against Charlottetown, Ramouski and St. John. Uh, you're uh, closest to the Halifax Mooseheads. They're taking on uh, Bathurst. Valdor has Gatineau. Roy Naranda against Schwinigan. uh The BB Armada and Drummondville. Chicoutimi in Quebec. And uh, Bacomo
3: against Sherbrooke. Did I get all that right? I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I know. I went yeah, through that pretty quick. Just, <laughs> yeah, the season just ended yesterday. And, uh, you, you know, you sort of scrambled to, to get some work done on the team you cover. And um, that all sounds right. But if you can believe it, there were a lot of series. In fact, more than a couple that were still undetermined until the end of the day. So, yep. uh, yeah, I'm still still sort of sorting through the dust myself.
2: All right. Well, the team you're nearest are the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, they go into the playoffs against the Bathurst-Titon. Uh, and uh, how much was separating them in the regular season? Is this a, a series you expect to go the distance in all five games, or do you think this uh, could be a short one for some reason?
3: Well, I tell you, like, at Christmas time, uh Bathurst really loaded up. They were already pretty loaded up. They went all in. They got some major pieces. Halifax, obviously, is still pretty young. So they didn't do a whole lot other than bringing a free agent from uh, Junior A, a good free agent. Uh, And then the next couple of times they played, Bathurst just pumped Halifax. Um, but, But then a couple of weeks ago, they split a series. And then all of a sudden, Halifax got hot and uh, Bathurst kind of went in the tank. Like they've lost four or five heading into the playoffs. Uh, their last game yesterday, they got pumped 10-2 by Charlottetown. Uh, meanwhile, Halifax, they're uh, they've won seven in a row, 11 or 13. So you know you got a, a, a best of five now, where, where there's tons and tons of pressure all of a sudden on the T tan And uh, the Moose says they can go in there loose. They got nothing to lose. They consider themselves a building team and they got swept, so nobody would be surprised. But if they go out there and win one or even two up in Bathurst to open it, oh my gosh, hmm. uh, it would be something. So, it's you know, I get to watch that series closest, so I'm looking forward to, to, to a decent one. Because as I mentioned earlier, not all first-rounders are, right?
2: What's the status of uh, Zachary LaRue? Every time I, I, I notice he's not playing, it's either because he's suspended again or because there's some sort of injury, but I never can really figure out Sometimes, which it is, and if it's an injury, how significant it is. Uh, what are you hearing about LaRue?
3: Well, this this is an injury this time. And uh, I'm going to say it came up 10 or 14 days ago, something like that. And uh, because it was so close to the playoffs, uh, you know, it's like trying to break into Fort Knox. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling if he hasn't played lately, he won't play. Um, and even if he does play, he won't be 100%. So, you know, I I've checked in for a status update like you do uh, today. That no answers, but uh, of course that doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, it, it, based on what I think and what I've seen, uh, I would maybe think he, he he dresses for game one and is, you know, not at 100%, and then we'll see. But uh, or he doesn't play at all. But something's definitely bothering him.
2: All right. Uh, I know Elliot DeNoyer had another terrific season, 42 goals this year in 61 games, 88 points. Jordan Dumay led the team in scoring, though, with 109 points. We don't hear about this guy all that much. I had him on the show, I don't know, about a month, month and a half ago, uh, right around the uh, the, uh, CHL top prospect game, which he wasn't invited to uh, for some reason. Mm -hmm. For those who haven't had a chance to watch him play, can you give us a bit of a, you know, a, your perspective on him and, and why we're not hearing more about him? Because 109 points is a, a ton of production for a, a draft eligible player.
3: Yeah, in fact, uh, his 109 points just beat the Moosehead franchise record of 105, hmm. which uh, for a 17 year old that, that Jonathan Drew asked that. Um, and in fact, that was the most points by a 17 year old, I think, since Sidney Crosby 17 years ago. So that's a ton of points for a kid who's on a team that's not a elite contender. So he can put it in the net. He can make plays. He's unreal on the power play. Um, I'm not saying his ceiling is this high, but his style is kind of like Mitch Marner. You know, he's, a really, he's quite small. He's not uh, not going to blow you away with any kind of speed, but just really, really good hands in small spaces and uh can execute in a lot of different ways but that size problem is is probably what scaring scouts off um he's only i think he only has three minor penalties all year so he's, he's huh. not going to be a guy that can initiate a lot of contact um, he can be pushed off the puck um he doesn't blow by you on the outside and, and i don't say all that to say um he's inadequate in any of those areas but if you're a scout, then you're trying to project whether he's going to be able to uh, do that at that pace at the next level. So I think he, he might be a second rounder and, and somebody might be really blown away with his last month or six weeks of the season and take him maybe late first. Um, but yeah, he's kind of been hovering around that third round range all year and um, his April will definitely help him. I mean, I think, I don't know the stats right in front of me, but I think it's something ridiculous like... 36 points in his last dozen games, maybe. It's yeah. crazy. So uh, he, he's got talent. There's no doubt about that.
2: All right. Willie Pelop from the Chronicle Herald in Halifax also uh, writes with uh, Saltwire and uh, Scout and Contributing Editor for the Redline Report uh, for all you draft junkies out there. Uh, all right. They're taking on Bathurst. You already said that the uh, the Teton loaded up. At the deadline, uh, from a Halifax perspective, who do the Moosehead have to focus in on and worry about the most when it comes to uh, Bathurst?
3: Yeah, I mean, the number one thing is depth. They have three crazy good lines and uh, a really good goal against Bednar, Detroit pick, um, really good defense. So that's going to be the biggest problem is when they're rolling out, you know, their second and third lines uh, that are uh, first line on other teams and Halifax has, you know, 16-year-olds. Uh, going up against them. Th- those are, that's going to be the game changing element Bathers can throw at them. But individually, um, you know, you got Hendrick Lapierre, came back from uh, a little stint with the Washington Capitals to start the year. He's obviously unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley Kidney, he's a kid from around uh, Nova Scotia, had 100 points this year. Montreal pick, crazy good on the power play. Um, and then another guy, they brought in Miguel Tourini from uh, Blainville, Boisbriand, the defenseman kind of your, your typical or stereotypical Quebec league defense and very offensive. East, but he's very small, but he can really play. So, uh, you have that plus a whole bunch of other guys that can put it in the net. So, um, they'll need to, uh, obviously stay off the penalty kill because, uh, they can roll two good units and then, uh, you know, maybe, maybe get the odd power play, get gold their own and, uh, and I hope for the best, but, uh, Certainly, if if I had to pick, Bathurst is definitely the favorite heading into this one.
2: All right. Well, Bathurst and Halifax are four and five in the Eastern Conference, and that means Saint John, Charlottetown, and Quebec are all above them in the standings. Are they all teams that should blow through the first round, or are they going to be challenged by uh, the opposition that they're facing?
3: I don't see any of them losing their series. Um, you know, Saint John going into the playoffs on a 15-game winning streak. They're the Memorial Cup hosts. Just wrecking everybody right now they won't have any trouble in their first round uh, Quebec is almost as hot um, you know Patrick Waugh kind of was a low-key buyer this year uh, but they had some guys like Zachary Bull Duke. I think he finished with 55 goals St. Louis first rounder really broke out and a, a few other guys and of course anybody knows anything about Patrick Waugh and the playoffs uh, he's, he's going to have his team playing intense hockey mm-hmm and then I've always I've liked Charlottetown since the first day of the year. Jim Halden, their coach and GM, does an awesome job, uh, you know, creating a real team. They're so good defensively. And if there's a if there's a team that can steal a game or two, it might be Moncton against Charlottetown. Not because again, I all obviously really like Charlottetown, but Moncton's well coached. Uh, they're a little like Halifax. They're young. Uh, not going to lose. They might go out and. Uh, maybe shut them down with a certain game plan, that kind of thing. But I, I think in the end, back in Charlottetown and St. John are probably the three favorites to uh, to win the league.
2: Willie, how about in the Western Conference? Sherbrooke, Gatineau, Shawinigan at the top of the conference, in a fairly good cushion to the rest of the pack there. Uh, same thing as with the East. The top three teams are they clearly the class of the conference?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Shawinigan, you know, was probably a fifth team among five in that top group, along with Bathurst, as just mentioned. Right. Um, but, you know, Maverick Bork, he's their best player. He had a lot of injury problems. Xavier go, same thing. But, you know, those are two NHL first-round picks who can really play. But they're back now, so that's a team uh, I assume will get to the semis or at least the quarters and then uh, could be a real dark horse. Um, you know, Sherbrooke was sort of in this in-between stage. They, they weren't buyers. They weren't sellers. Uh, they are just they just kind of stood pat and, and had a really, really good year. Joshua Waugh, um, he was the, the first overall pick in the Quebec League draft a couple of three years ago, I think. And uh, he really broke out, won the league scoring championship. And uh, they have a really good import goalie. So, yeah, they're good. And Gatineau is a lot like Halifax. They, they've, they've built around their 17 their year olds. If I remember, they had four first round picks two years ago. So those kids are all good Um, and probably overachieved a little bit this year. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about a full Quebec League season, a second year player in August when you open camp is not the same player uh, in May when you're starting playoffs. They're so much more mature. So Gatineau is going to scare some people just because they'll be loose it's not their year to win at all but um they're well coached and they're organized and they're fairly deep with young players so you know again they're they're gonna they're gonna be a bit of a spoiler maybe
2: outstanding willie as always really appreciate your time it was a quick look at the uh, upcoming uh, quebec major junior hockey league playoffs but uh well worth checking in again and hopefully we can do it uh once more time at least before the memorial cup rolls around in
3: saint john yeah anytime i love talking to you guys
2: it's Willie Palov from the uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald. Longtime beat writer for the uh, that paper covering the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, and I did not know, but uh, he's been a longtime scout for Redline Report as well, Kyle Woodleaf's uh, outfit. Did not know that, but it makes a lot of sense. He knows what he's talking about for sure. Let me know who you uh, have coming out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year. We know St. John is the host. Who's going to join the Sea Dogs uh, for the Memorial Cup this year? Let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore gi at least one more guest to come this week hopefully a 2022 draft spotlight segment but as i'm speaking with you right now for the benefit of you uh, patrons who get early access and are going to hear you know this past interview before the full episode comes out as i'm recording this right now it's tuesday i'm expected to have a, a 2022 draft spotlights interview either wednesday or thursday but it is unconfirmed at the moment so hopefully we will have that for you next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. This is
0: Logan Stankovic. I play for the Calis Blazers.
3: The Blazers, Stankovic, left wing, trying to work around Dory. And uh, Stankovic is shooting!
1: From his knees, Stankovic goes top cheese. And this is the Pipeline Show. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris. Wow, what a goal. And Duncan Keith. Score! And future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world.
2: You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
3: You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras.
2: Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, But we're going to end this week's episode with a 2022 draft spotlight segment. Get to know another player who is eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. And uh, my guest just coming back from Germany, with some hardware, not the color he was hoping for, but a strong performance as usual for Team USA at the World U18s. Uh, my guest today is Frank Nazer. Uh, welcome to the program, uh, Frank. I appreciate you making the time. How are things?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, things are going well. Happy to be home. Obviously, we didn't have the outcome we wanted out in Germany, but uh, still, still medaled for our, our country, so it was a pretty good thing.
2: All right, well, let's start with the the most recent events and that trip over there. I mean, it was a strong tournament. The final game was really entertaining from a fan perspective. And as we know, it didn't go your way. Sweden came away with the victory. But uh, how do you feel about the way you and your team played in the event?
0: Yeah, I I thought our team played great. Uh, Like every game, we kind of dominated. And and even the last game, we had 55 shots. They only had 15. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know that that's just hockey sometimes like sometimes you you dominate the game and you just don't come out with the win and honestly if that's if that's seven game series, I think we win the next four and it's and and it's us, but uh that's that's just what happens sometimes
2: so true red Berenson on this uh, very program well, maybe he might have said it to a lot of people, but I remember in the twenty eleven frozen four Michigan beat North Dakota, and they were badly outplayed in the game. And after the uh, afterwards, he said, hey, it's hockey. Sometimes the best team doesn't win. Uh, and in his case, yep. the, that was his team that went on uh, <laughs> after being outplayed. But for you guys, I mean, 55 shots in that final. And sometimes it, it just you just run up against a hot goaltender like that, and, and he was all-world in that one. Yep, 100%. Overall, the course of the season, are you happy with the way things went for you? I know this the last couple of years with the program, you really build up to the World U18 final in your second season at the program. But... You know, you're looking back on your career uh, over the last two seasons. Uh, are you happy with your experience?
0: Yeah, I think the the national team development programs is the, the right place to go. And I don't think I would have wanted to go anywhere else besides here. I definitely develop more as, as a player and, and actually like a person. And they, they teach you how to do everything respectfully and just help you with the future. And as a player perspective-wise, like going into there, like, honestly, I, I didn't really know much about the game of hockey. I knew just go out there and like try to score really. And they kind of taught me about like the aspects of it and the features about like playing defense. And like, sometimes it's okay. Like if you have a defensive shift or you go out there 30 seconds and even though you don't get an offensive play, like maybe you dump it in and get a change and get it going. But it definitely helped me come along as a player. So I I, I wouldn't change a thing.
2: What you just said, uh, it was, I read the story. uh, Scott Wheeler wrote in The Athletic, just did a feature on you this week. Tremendous read for those who haven't had a chance to read it. I I highly recommend it. But what you were just touching on before you got to the program, you were kind of uh, like this gifted individual, the way he describes it, uh, playing on your club teams. And it wasn't until you got to the program where you sort of learned how to become a team player. You go from a team where you were the obvious number one best player on uh, the squad to a team where everybody was in that same position, and now you got to learn how to work together as a unit. Did that come naturally, or did that take some time?
0: No, it definitely took a little bit of time. I I didn't go in thinking I was, I was the best player or anything. I just I went in with an open mindset, so it wasn't me trying to show off against other guys or anything. Right. And I actually struggled a little bit in the first couple like a month or a couple months and and i i ended up just like putting my head down and getting to work and realizing like all right i just got to work harder for what i want and it's not going to come as easy as as it was previous years and like even the previous years it wasn't that i wasn't like a like a team player It was more of just like it was okay if i cheese a little bit more than than now because now if you cheese just fuck's gonna end up back your net so
2: and you changed position here a little bit too, weren't you playing on the wing for uh, most year uh, years before this one, and, and were uh, at the program at least, and then they moved you to the middle.
0: Yeah, actually, my first time playing center was at the program. That's crazy. Yeah, that was my that was my first time, and it ended up going pretty well. Had a had a pretty good night with Howard. We ended up putting up like five points, and and honestly, like I, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity if a few guys weren't out from COVID. So I I, I kind of got lucky from that. Wow. And. It, it, must just be like destiny. Hopefully,
2: well, you look back at the your first year in the program, the U17 season, and uh, everything going around with COVID and having to to steer around all of those uh, distractions on the ice and off the ice with the uh, tournaments being canceled and things like that. It hasn't. It doesn't seem to have affected your development overall, and maybe that's a credit to the program itself. Is that fair? Yeah, hundred percent.
0: I think honestly, it's not a. It wasn't a bad thing. Obviously, for the world, is a bad thing, but for Like our training standpoint, I almost think that it was a little bit better because we got to spend more time at the rink and more time training and there wasn't as many teams going to the rink and skating and taking up like some of the ice time that we could get. And honestly, I I think it, it helped us just get that one step, like a little bit better, 1%, a little bit better each day. And I, I think it was a good thing for us.
2: Interesting. All right. Uh, I don't know if you're a guy who sets uh, statistical goals for yourself at the start of the season. I want to get this many goals or this many points. Uh, do you do that? No. <laughs>
0: Not. I, it's funny that you actually say that because I've never really thought about like doing anything like that. So.
2: Oh, that's interesting. There are players who do. Uh, but uh, for yourself, then, if I say, hey, 70 points, did that surprise you or anything like that? Do you have a response? I mean, is do the stats mean much to you? I, I get the sense you're more of a team success is, is primary sort of guy.
0: Yeah. I actually like after the seasons when I finally like look at all the stats and everything, I kind of keep it away when we're going throughout the season. I don't, re- I don't really like looking at it, but uh, like when we play, obviously like I want to score and I want to get points, but it's, it's not because of like, Oh, I just like, I want to do this cause I want to show off. It's like, it's fun to me. If you get what I'm saying. It's like, I want to go out and have fun when I play Yeah. and scoring getting a nice assist. Like that's, that's fun to me, so that's kind of like why I do it—not to like stack points or whatever.
2: Frank Nazar the Third, and uh, I said I wasn't going to do that, but I did anyway. Uh, Frank Nazar the Third of from Team USA is my guest here on the Pipeline Show, and uh, Frank, we, what we like to do is open this segment up for uh, the benefit of uh, casual hockey fans. This is a, a the, the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know a lot about the program and the USHL and and junior hockey and college hockey, but. There'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who listen to a segment like this simply because you're a draft-eligible player and, and they might not know anything about you. Uh, so for the benefit of that uh, segment of the, uh, the audience right now, uh, maybe let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up?
0: Mount Clemens, Michigan is where I grew up and uh, I started playing hockey at. Just at the, I learned to skate at Mount Clemens.
2: And how far from Plymouth is Mount Clemens?
0: It's about 45, 50 minutes on traffic
2: so pretty close I, I mean you're in comfortable surroundings then it's not like you're a guy who's uh, had to relocate from Florida or California or uh the uh the east coast or something
0: yeah no I, I mean I grew up playing at the USA arena like my whole life playing against Compuair and and there's tournaments up here so it's like it was a little unfamiliar like getting outside the rink but uh there's nothing nothing too bad. So I, I think I was extremely lucky about lucky about that.
2: Did you go to OHL games when the Plymouth Whalers were still playing out of there?
0: No, I did not.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, all right. When did the uh, the program sort of come onto your radar and did you know much about it, you know, as a, a nine or a ten year old or is it like when you were thirteen, fourteen did it start you know, started gaining your attention?
0: Yeah, once I was I was like twelve, around that age, that was when I started to realize like what the what the program was and Went to a few games and seen all those guys like go through that, the process that I'm going through right now, and and it kind of just made me realize like this is where I want to go. And I didn't really know much about it. I didn't know what they do. All I know is that they're playing for their country, like Team USA. Like who wouldn't want to do that? So that's kind of what I just look forward to. Uh,
2: who got you into hockey uh, at at a young age? I, I know I read the story that Scott wrote, but some of the audience might not have heard it. But I, I found it really interesting.
0: Yeah. So my dad owned a parking garage in downtown Detroit and he used to park cars for all the Red Wings fans and whenever they played and he just became a huge fan of the wings. And, and like when they were winning the cup, he like went in the parade and stuff. And, and one day he was just watching hockey when I walked into his room and, and I sat down watching, he asked me if I wanted to play. And that's, that's kind of how it started.
2: That's that's funny. Not the not the classic, you know, the guys who grew up in Minnesota with the backyard rinks and stuff. Uh, not exactly the same yeah. story that, that those guys had. But hey, but it's uh, worked out for you. And the the fact that you you went to your first skating lesson and it looked like you'd been skating for a while, that's amazing. I don't know how that happens. I, I mean, I'm old. I have a son. And when I took him on the ice as a four or five-year-old, uh, he was uh, too busy doing snow angels. For you, it just seemed <laughs> like uh, it was nothing.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know like what happened or how I how I learned so quick, but it was just kind of just came easy. Well, and
2: and it sounds like uh, most people think skating is, is maybe your greatest asset. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I'd say that's fair.
2: Wow, I guess it's just something you're born with. Uh, uh, Frank, just for the uh, listeners' uh, benefit, the audience's benefit, how do we correctly pronounce your first and last – well, not your first name. We know it's Frank. Uh, how do we correctly pronounce your last name, and do you like having the third tagged on the end?
0: Yeah, it's just Nazar. A lot of people say like Nazar or mix it up a little bit, but uh, just nazar and yeah i i like to have the third when it, it's written down. I think it it kind of if my grandpa's like watching something and and they hear it he just he loves to hear that and it, every now and then it'll make him cry just <laughs> just seeing the third, so that's that's kind of the reason why I like it
2: for those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, they'll look at the stats see seventy points in fifty six games and and, uh, you know, your season in Honeybaked is just ridiculous. 49 goals, 127 points in 55 games. But that, the stats might not tell the whole picture. So how do you describe yourself as a player, Frank?
0: I like to say that I'm a, a two-way center who, who likes to score goals and set up plays. I think that I play both sides of the ice fairly well. And I like to turn def- good defensive plays into great offensive opportunities. I like to play quick and off the, off the rush. And... I like to put the puck in back to that.
2: And if you're a, an effective center, that means you've got to win some face-offs. Now, not being a centerman until you got to the program, was that a uh, a skill set that you really acquired here in the last uh,
0: year and a half? Yeah, I wasn't... Like, when I first started playing center, I wasn't too great at the draws. I kind of had, like, an idea about it. And then uh, I actually talked with Ryan Kessler, who who was our coach for a little bit this year, and he helped me out a lot on just, like, techniques and and how to read what the guy's doing but like i'm still not like super great at them but I, i'm working on it
2: all right so that's uh one thing you can uh, work on uh, when you get to to michigan and beyond that uh, we'll talk about michigan in a second uh frank nazar the third is my guest here uh, on the pipeline show uh, over the course of uh, your time at the at the program you get to play ushl competition the international uh component as well and and the ncaa division one opponents do you have a preference? Which one of those three opponents is uh, your favorite?
0: I would say it's probably a, a tie between uh, the NCAA games and the uh, international games. But uh, USHL games, they're fun. Uh, every but sometimes you kind of like underestimate your opponent, and games get a little um, like bad from our side of it. Mm. So uh, I, I just think it's, it's more fun personally to play against like, the NCAA guys who are way older and, and stronger, and it's just, I feel like it's a little bit more of a competition.
2: From a, a challenge perspective or a development perspective, I would think those college games would be uh, a lot more beneficial. Yeah, 100%. That said, something about playing international and wearing, well, you get, you get to wear your uh, national colors every game, uh, Team USA, but uh, doing that on international soil has got to be a, th- a thrill.
0: Yeah, it's just it's super nice to be able to put on that that jersey, and hopefully that's not the last time I got to against Sweden. But uh, it it's just the more the more you you talk to people and they find out who you play for, it the more they realize or you you realize like how big of a deal it is. Like just walking through the airport on our way home, a lot of people are like, "Thank you for," or like they ask how we did, and I'm like, "Oh, we got silver." They're like, "Oh well, way to way to represent the country in it." It kind of shocks you. And you're like, oh wow, people actually like realize that and recognize it. Nice,
2: uh, Frank. Uh, I, I want to ask you about Michigan, uh, of course. So, uh, why that program in particular? I know you're that close. Is it just because it's so close and familiar territory for you as well? Or, I mean, obviously the the program is exceptional track record for getting guys to the next level and into the NHL. There's no second guessing in that regard. But yeah, I'm sure you had options. Uh, why did you decide on the the
0: Michigan Wolverines? Yeah, basically just. Just uh, it, it was in the in the area. Obviously, I grew up in Michigan. So it's kind of always been a Michigan fan and Michigan hockey and all the guys they put through their program that go to the NHL and make a difference. literally like their first year. So that's that's kind of a big deal. I don't want to like, go in and kind of be stuck and not doing too much. So I think Michigan would be the best route for myself to help me get to that that spot uh, there, there's a coach there that I've known for a good amount of time, Brandon Nerado. He actually just got hired. So that's, that's one thing I, I'm super excited for and looking forward to in the future, just working with him. I think that's just going to be the best place for my development.
2: And then you got some familiar faces that'll be uh, joining uh, the team as well. Seamus Casey uh, that you played with this year, Rector Mer- McGrory, who's been on the show and I think you've been uh, teammates of his for two or three years now, even before the program, right?
0: Yeah. Not, not the U15 year, but, uh, 12 you and like 13 you we were, we were teammates.
2: Well, so th- I mean that'll be nice when you, you get to take that step with uh, some familiar faces and have that shared experience.
0: Yeah, it's always good knowing someone like where you're going.
2: Uh, Frank, I know in that story uh, that Scott wrote uh, there was I mean it starts off at the at the beginning basically saying that you made it clear to your family and your friends and even your advisor you don't want to talk about the draft uh, during the course of the season cuz you're focused on uh, playing and, and uh, improving and getting to the world U18. Now that the U18 is done, and really the next thing on the calendar is the draft, do you feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it now?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just talked to my advisor about this. and <laughs> I, I haven't looked at, well, before the tournament, I didn't look at any. Like, other stats or anything like that, or rankings or anything? Right. Or, like, articles about myself. And, and now, yeah, it's kind of more a little bit comfortable. Like, if he sends one my way or sees something cool, it's like it doesn't mind me to Bother me to look at it because it's there's nothing like I'm going out to to play for now. So now it's just getting ready for that that day to come.
2: So are are you a social media guy, or are you one of those that doesn't have any Twitter or Facebook or anything like that?
0: Yeah. No, I I have like Instagram and uh, basically that's about it. So I I don't really go on Twitter or, or Facebook to look at it to look at much.
2: All right. So when you're on a team like the program this year, that I mean, there's how many guys on the roster? Twenty four, twenty five guys, and probably. 18 of them are going to get drafted how do you not get uh, hear anything about the draft or as little as possible that's got to be a challenge just to just to avoid it
0: yeah a little bit uh kind of just if somebody's like talking to me I kind of just t- try to tell them like hey I don't really want to hear too much about like what's going on with the draft and I just, I just like to focus on the season like at, at hand and and the guys don't really talk about it too much maybe now but but, like during the season, it's like no we're we're focused on like what we're here to do, not not what's gonna happen after so it's it actually like it wasn't too bad, but every now and then you'll get someone that brings it up and yeah it it, it may be a little annoying, but it, it's like whatever you can't really do much about it so
2: so now that the season is over and you've started to look at things for the draft, and I'm sure you've noticed all the rankings that everybody has you well inside the first round and and probably in the top half of the first round, when you see that are you surprised or are you okay that's what i expected that's what i hope for how do you feel about it
0: um honestly like i I feel pretty neutral about it it's obviously like people who are making these these rankings or or putting these out it's they're not the the ones picking the the guys in the draft so i don't really think too much about them it's more about like what's going to happen that night and and uh, I'm excited to go to the combine and talk to these teams, more teams, and see how they feel and and basically like go from there because I can't really base what uh what like other guys write or or think about it because like, you'll never know until you get there.
2: <laughs> That's true. Uh, one of the questions I, I like to ask all the guys, you know, does it matter where you get uh, taken? Does it matter if you're a top ten guy or you know if you're later in the first round or even you know a second fourth. Seventh round guy, does it matter to you outside of you know bragging rights and that competitive nature that everybody has? Does it really change anything?
0: Personally, to me, my my whole dream has been just to go first round. I I could just like imagine walking up on that stage and like shaking everybody's hands, and that's kind of just something I've been dreaming of my whole life. So for me, that's kind of kind of what I would really hope for and what I'm kind of pushing for. Right. And honestly, to me, it doesn't really matter like what pick because either way, like whatever team I go to, I'm just going to work my way up and, and do what I have to, to to show them that I can play.
2: Frank, did your uh, line mates uh, change throughout the season or did you play with the same couple of uh, line mates uh, for the most part all year?
0: No, they actually didn't change. I, I ended up playing with uh, Isaac Howard for the, basically the whole year. And then uh, the right winger would change every now and then. But uh, I loved it. I thought it was a great duo. And, and I'm glad that we stuck together through the whole thing.
2: Why do you think that connection works so well? What uh, what was the key to the uh, chemistry success? Uh,
0: Honestly, I think it's more just like our playing styles and, and how we, we read off each other. Like sometimes he goes to spots that I don't go and I go to spots that he doesn't go. And, and when we're in the offensive zone, he's he's pretty easy to find open in the slot and... Honestly, you give them the puck in the slot, and most most of the time, it's going to end up in the back of the net. It's mm-hmm. a good opportunity, so I think it it just worked out that way. Just being able to feed off each other.
2: So when you have twenty eight goals, forty two assists, do you see yourself more as a setup guy, or do you, or do you are you a? Uh, I mean, twenty eight goals, nothing wrong with that. You're a, a scorer as well, um, but do you see yourself more? What's more natural, passing the puck or, or firing it yourself?
0: I would say, honestly, it's a little bit of of both. But if I have a two on one depending on like how I'm reading the situation, I'm just going to make the best play, but I'm most likely going to think pass first. Cause I feel like that's just like the odds of that play working out and, and going in into the back of the net. And I think that's just like the smarter play. If you know what I'm saying,
2: Frank uh, growing up as a Red Wings fan, favorite player uh, along the way
0: uh, th- throughout like Red Wings. Yeah. Or, or if,
2: was there another player in the league somewhere else that uh, was your favorite guy?
0: Yeah. When it- Growing up, when I first started getting into, like, AAA hockey, it was always Cindy Crosby. That was kind of the guy I looked up to, just him and his beauty days and his, his like, golden days. He was right. on. I mean, even right now, he's still unreal. He hasn't put up less than a point per game and, and in all of his NHL seasons, so it's just amazing.
2: Uh, no, nothing wrong with picking Sidney Crosby, that's for sure. Well, Frank, listen, uh, I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best of luck at the draft, whatever happens. And uh, maybe we'll chat again once you're at Michigan with the Wolverines. Thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
2: Here's Frank Nazar from uh, Team USA, the U.S. National Development Program, coming home from Germany with a silver medal at the World U18 Championship. Terrific season, terrific uh, couple of seasons with the National Development Team. And uh, looking forward to seeing what he does as a member of the Michigan Wolverines. That will wrap up this week's episode of the program. The uh, WHL playoffs continue. Round two starts this weekend. The Edmonton Oil Kings, the Red Deer Rebels meet on Thursday. Moose Jaw versus Winnipeg and Kamloops hosting Vancouver. They get going on Friday. The Portland and Seattle series doesn't start until Saturday. But the WHL round two kicking off this weekend. And playoffs everywhere else uh, continue on so if you can, get out and uh, watch some playoff hockey because uh, it's exceptional stuff. Quick thank you to everybody who has been signing up to become a patron at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. Look for some new features, I believe, coming in the next uh, little while. I don't know if that's in the next month or two, uh, but Patreon rolling out some new features, things we can look forward to. Go to patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. You'll get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show such as this one with Frank Nazar. Had the chat with him on Wednesday. Patrons were able to hear that shortly thereafter, whereas everybody else is getting it uh, when the full episode is released. Next week on the show, more playoff updates. Mike track down somebody who was over in Germany to watch the World U18 and some other irons in the fire. Lots of ideas, but no set plans just yet. Uh, maybe I'll update patrons on that over the weekend. But until next week's episode, get out and watch some playoff hockey if you can so that we can chat about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name's Keith Flaming. See ya!